Hello, my name is Father Edward Looney, and you're listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary, a podcast that I hope that will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. Silence is one of those things in the spiritual life that is very important. We're told in the Psalms to be still and to know that he is God. So in the stillness and in the silence, we can sense the presence of God and in that silence to hear God speak to the depths of our hearts. And so I am happy to be talking about this topic. Of course, this is maybe a, a little spiritual familiar. This is a topic familiar to us maybe in the spiritual life, partly because Cardinal Sara uh, wrote a book on silence a few years ago. And I know lots of people kind of devoured that book. They were looking for it. They were very interested uh, in that topic. So there is another book about silence that Sophia Institute Press has just published. It's called Holy Silence, A Practical Guide to Recollection in God, and it's written by Father Basil. And Father Basil Nortz is with me now. Uh, he is a member of the Order of the Canon Regulars of the Holy Cross and has spoken numerously about silence and the holy angels. So I'm grateful to uh, get his insights uh, about silence and its role in our spiritual life. So thanks so much, Father Basil, for joining me today. I'm very grateful to be with you. Yeah, so where are you located? I guess I'm just curious where uh, the Order of the Canons Regular of the Holy Cross are located. In the United States, we have a monastery in Carrollton, Ohio, but I'm living right now in our monastery in uh, Annapolis, Brazil, in central Brazil. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, that's great. I don't know too much about your order, but of course, uh, obviously being a religious and being a, a priest and having gone through formation, uh, you are well uh, equipped to talk to us today about silence. And uh, your book, uh, you know, this is a podcast called How They Love Mary, and your book actually has a picture on the cover of Mary with her her finger over her lips, like telling us to be quiet, like our parents or our teachers would have told us. So what's the significance of that icon, uh, I guess, or what can Mary teach us about silence? Yes. So it's a very beautiful icon from a convent of nuns in Italy that he gave us permission to use that beautiful icon. But Our Lady is the perfect example of true silence. As I mentioned in the introduction to the book, that Our Lady, in order to receive the Word of God, I mean, the fathers of the church say that she first conceived the Word in her heart before conceiving Him in her heart or in her body. And that capacity to receive, conceive the Word of God is based upon her, her real silence, because in order to receive a word without distorting it, without ignoring part of it at least, you have to be, silence is the fundamental disposition to receive the word of God. And Our Lady was the creature created by God that was capable of fully receiving the incarnate word in a way that no other creature, I mean, it's her greatest dignity as being mother of God. And so, but that the 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 fact that she was created for that vocation means that she was created to receive most fully the word. So she was, there's a beautiful book called Our Lady, the Woman Wrapped in Silence, which describes this characteristic of Mary, of being the one, yeah, the, the perfect example of silence. 
Yeah, I think you could think about silence uh, and Our Lady in a lot of different ways. But even in that moment of the Annunciation, like the silent moment, and St. Bernard of Clairvaux brings this out in his own, you know, super misus est homily. He says, you know, that the whole world waits. And, and so there's a silent moment from the message of the angel to that moment where Mary says, let it be done, fiat mihi secundum verbum tuum. And, and uh, that moment of silence was kind of the weighted breath uh, of all of humanity uh, for redemption. And, and even, yeah, all throughout the rest of her life, silence as she was in the presence of Christ and maybe uh, marveled at the great wonders that he said and the wonders that he did. So I'm sure silence was a great characteristic of her life. And uh, I'll have to look at my bookshelf and see if I have this book about Mary and silence. And if not, I'll have to acquire it. Yes. The, I mean, so in the book, I try to describe different forms of silence, not only the silence of speech, but other interior forms of silence, silence of the imagination, of the memory, of the will, of the emotions. And among those different forms of silence, there is the silence of Our Lady in the, exactly in the Annunciation, that is the silence of wonder. So she asked the question, how is this possible, since I know not man? So she's not in any way doubting God's plan and God, no doubt, she's just, she's full of wonder. How is this possible? She, she's wondering, and wondering is a kind of hunger. It's a, it's a hopeful pursuit of the truth. And so it's, it's a form of silence, but a silence that has a kind of an anxious or hopeful openness to receive the answer. She knows there's an answer, but she has this, so there's a form of silence that we have to have. Because on the other hand, we have the, the example of Zacharias, who asked the question, how is that possible? I'm, I'm an old man. And his is not a, a question of wonder, but of doubt. And so he kind of, he ends the conversation with his doubt. But Our Lady has the other, it seems the same the question, but actually it's a totally different question based upon exactly her sense of admiration in the presence of this mystery of the incarnation. Now, your book, Holy Silence, A Practical Guide to Recollection in God, uh, is really taking inspiration from a Carmelite uh, nun. Uh, I don't think she's a saint. Maybe she has a cause for sainthood. But uh, her name was Sister Marie Aimé de Jesus, or Je of Jesus. So Sister Marie Amy of Jesus. And uh, I guess I'm wondering, how did you first come to know about this uh, Carmelite sister? And, and uh, what made you want to use her as the foundation, I guess, uh, for your reflection and book on silence. And so she was a, uh, Carmelina, she, she lived in France in the mid-19th century. So she was born around 1840, 1850, from a very poor family in France. In fact, her, the rest of her family died of practically malnutrition. And she, she survived as an orphan and was raised by the Daughters of Charity received a very good formation. Eventually, she entered the Carmelites, and there she became the mistress of novices. And after her death, they went through her notes and found in her notes 12 forms of silence, where she just mentions the name of the silence, and she gives a very brief description. And this text 
after they discovered it, the Carmelites began to publish it, particularly in French. In fact, um, Edith Stein, um, Saint Benedict, uh, Teresa Benedicta, she wrote a, an introduction to one of the editions of these 12 forms of silence. But in any case, when I entered my religious community, I entered in Fatima, Portugal, and there one of our priests gave a conference on silence and he gave us a sheet of paper that had these 12 forms of silence. And I kept that sheet with me during all the time of my formation. I, kept, I even made copies of it to keep with me because I used it as an examination of conscience for many years. When I became ordained priest many years later, I was asked to preach a, a retreat to a group of Carmelites, um, third order Carmelites. And I was thinking, oh, what can I talk about? And I remembered that list. And so I took the list and I formulated very, three different conferences on these 12 different forms of silence. And it was very well received. And I saw that there was a very great interest in this topic. And so in subsequent retreats that I gave over the years in various places in the United States and Italy and, and Brazil, I reformulated it. And every time I gave it, I these conferences, I deepened my own understanding of these different forms of silence. And so it was over a period of 20 years preaching over, giving these conferences that this book developed. Now, for us in our own lives, the ordinariness of daily life, uh, what are some examples of moments that maybe we could foster for silence? Uh, I, I remember a story that Bishop Zubik once told me, and uh, basically he said, during the Lenten season, what I love to do is I love to turn off the radio in my car, and I'll drive from place to place in silence. And uh, and so that was kind of like a Lenten disposition for him. So, so I guess I, I'm thinking moments of silence in my life. Well, that's that's a moment. And sometimes like Maybe I'm listening to too much radio or music or podcasts. I'm like, oh, you know what? I just need some quiet for a few moments. But uh, what are some instances, maybe practically, we could find time to create that moment of silence uh, for us uh, throughout our life? Yes, exactly. The um, the renunciation, type of mortification, particularly in, in the face of so many modern technologies that offer very seductive form of noise that people feel attracted to them. And it's a tendency to fill our lives with noise. I mean, one thing is that, you know, if we go to a shopping mall or we go outside and there's traffic or music playing in a restaurant or whatever, that's, that's something that's beyond our control. And that doesn't really necessarily affect us negatively. What affects us negatively is when we choose to turn on the radio or turn on the television or turn on certain music in a way that's just not really conducive to our well-being, to our well. And so this is where a certain mortification is necessary to have. Because, I mean, evidently God can use everything for for our, our development and God can use 
And they're very good podcasts. They're very good um, television programs or th videos on the, on the internet that can be very helpful. But, <clears throat> but in the end, we need time to assimilate these things. We need time to reflect. And the silence is a necessary atmosphere for our real development to really, to, uh, to how do you say, to, to be able to benefit from whatever input that we have received, we need to take some time to reflect. So that's one form of silence is the silence of the senses, that we need to have a certain mortification. Using well, the senses, and again, we have the example of Our Lady, where at the wedding feast of Cana, she used her, her eyes to see the needs of others. They have no wine. So she's not looking with the, what do you say, the concupiscence of the eyes. I want some more wine. <laughs> she's not looking for her own, herself, but she's looking for the needs of others. So it's another form of silence of the eyes is to use our senses for the benefit of others and also for our own um, mortification, for our own growth in Christ. Now, why do you think some people just really struggle with silence? You know, so this is a, a just a, the other day I was at a restaurant and it happened to be, well, it was a very loud restaurant. So it's kind of, kind of odd to maybe bring it up in the context of silence, but I think it, it spoke to something uh, maybe related to this is that, so this restaurant is in the middle of nowhere and there's no cell reception whatsoever. You could not download an email. You could not, you know, take a phone call. There's no cell reception. So the line was super long because it's a very popular restaurant. And as I was in the line waiting to order my food, I saw these two kids at the table and their faces were just like, like down on the table. Their phones were laying there. And it was like, there was something in them that was just like, I want to access Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, I don't know, you know, TikTok, whatever they wanted, like they weren't able to do anything in that moment. And instead of just enjoying the time that they had with mom and dad and brother and sister or whoever was with them, they just like were so defeated that they couldn't be scrolling on their phone. And so I guess maybe that this that might be the answer to this question, but but I think we are uncomfortable a lot of times with silence or find it difficult to engage in and appreciate. So why is that as a culture that, that there isn't this appreciation for the gift that is silence? Yes. So you're touching upon a very serious situation in our modern world where um, people become habituated to filtering reality through some digital means. I mean, so the idea of simply sitting down and having a normal conversation, or as you say, just appreciating the moment of that you're in and appreciating the people around you that you can see with your own senses. People, some, I mean, many youth and other people, because of their being habituated to the use of social media, they, they find it that they, they can only really deal with reality when it's filtered through these means, because that's where they can control it. 
they, 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 I mean, I don't know if they, I mean, there's many different factors involved of fearing to lose control of whatever. But yeah, it's, it's a serious situation where, again, people become addicted to these forms of noise and they feel insecure without them, where we need to have our <laughs> idea of silence is to be able to come, I mean, to dispose ourselves to remain in the presence of God. I mean, the, the finality of silence is always to listen and to obey in order to come to greater union with God, who is the ultimate reality as reality himself. But the idea of becoming habituated to virtual reality is something that's very dangerous because it damages our capacity to stay in the presence of reality itself, God himself. And so that's a serious problem that we have to deal with in our modern world. So when it comes to silence and maybe fostering silence in our life, um, what are what are some tips, I guess, uh, to do that? So like, I, I want to pray, so I'm going to go into the church, I'm going to pray before the Blessed Sacrament, and it's silence, There's a, that is a time of silence. So what do I do there? Do I just, do I just sit there? Do I talk, like, what should I be doing in that silence with God? Yeah, so that's the great challenge is, I mean, even when we're in the presence of exterior silence, we have to deal with the interior noise of our imagination, our memory, our interior conversations, and so on. And the idea of the book is to try to offer um, a way of discerning the types of noise that can interfere with true prayer. And so prayer is a conversation with God, an elevation of our soul, our mind, our heart, our emotions, our memory, our imagining tudo, everything is for the Blessed Sacrament. Um, in the situation before the Blessed Sacrament, our idea is to direct these interior conversations that we have towards God. We direct our, our memory towards God, our imagination towards God. And so when we see that we are beginning to enter in distractions, being preoccupied with problems in our personal life, the idea is not simply just to um, repress those thoughts, but to redirect those thoughts to Jesus, present them to him, have them as part of our conversation with him, because our prayer has to be rooted in the reality of our daily life. And so we, we, the idea is not just to escape our, our daily life, but to allow prayer to penetrate, infiltrate all the different preoccupations that we have. But that's the great challenge is not simply finding times of exterior silence where we're not, we don't have the input and we're not talking with our mouth, but the interior silence is the great challenge. But we have to see clearly what are the different forms of interior silence and what are the different measures that we can take in order to really... So the idea of silence is not to come to Buddhistic nirvana, to, to nothingness, but the fullness of reality. 
the fullness of the word and that our words be directed towards God and our thoughts, our imaginations, our memory be directed towards him. And it's in this silence that God is going to speak to us. And how do we know then that it's God that's speaking to us? So, uh, you know, I know strongly at, at certain times that something in that moment of silence was completely inspired by God. I could not have manufactured it, um, but it was a simple enlightenment, if you will, that the Lord spoke in the depths of our hearts. So in the silence of our heart, God is going to speak. So how do we discern that voice of God in that silence? Yeah, so that's a, it's a good question as far as the discernment of um, St. Ignatius of Loyola offers certain rules for the discernment of spirits, but it's a question of whether it's something that um, reflects our, our true, uh, how do we say, that our true vocation. If it's something, so if I feel a father of a family who has responsibility to care for his family gets an inspiration in adoration to um, do something that would in any way damage his responsibilities, then he can really question whether that's really from God. But generally, if it's something that will um, support and help us realize our mission in, church, and in the church, generally we can have certain confidence. But if it's a question of um, something, an inspiration that has to do with a, a very important decision in our life, very often we need the help of another person, a good spiritual director or confessor who can give us an, a more objective help in, in discernment of spirits. I'd like to maybe suggest that silence is a virtue that we can foster in our life, that not only is it this disposition, but it, it can be a moment of virtue too, because um, this is a, an example that I'm thinking of, is that when I'm confronted in a conversation with someone, and maybe it's a very negative conversation they're having, they're talking about the faults of another. So the virtue of silence in that moment could be that I'm not going to contribute to this. I'm not going to speak uh, ill word about another person. And so, so that could be kind of the silence of the tongue, which might be a, a virtue. Is that something that you would agree with? And maybe something that uh, as you mentioned earlier, that you use Sister uh, Mary May's uh, reflection on silence, her points, as an examination. Is that a good examination point uh, regarding silence? Yeah, certainly. There is virtuous silence, evidently, where we, we show discretion, we, we avoid defamation or calumny of others, or, or refuse to enter into gossip. These are virtuous forms of silence, but at the time, at the same time, there are kinds of vicious silence. If I use silence as an excuse to to punish someone, I am going to give them the silent treatment because I'm really angry with them, and I want to show that they're angry. That can be rather than seeking reconciliation, I'm just going to punish them. Or another vicious type of silence is someone who has the obligation to proclaim the faith, a bishop or a priest who has an obligation to preach the faith, 
and out of cowardice refuses to do so. There are certain types of silence that are not virtuous, but as a rule, I mean, what we tried, we, in the book, we tried to point out those forms of silence that are not holy, but at the same time, as a general rule, silence is a very, very useful form of virtue in order to, I mean, the idea is to direct every capacity, every potency of our soul to its proper object. Could you speak a little bit about this silence of the imagination? I think that's an interesting concept that, you know, in our in our imagination, maybe there's like the Ignatian imaginative prayer, um, but just w- what is meant by uh, silence and imagination that you bring out in the book? Yeah, that's a very good question. The as you point out, the meditation, the the method of Saint Ignatius Loyola is a fantastic and powerful method of using the imagination to enter into the mystery of the incarnate word. God became flesh in order to give us images. And the whole sacred scripture is full of sacred images, the stories, I mean, history. And so the Ignatian method is makes good use of this faculty of the soul, the imagination in order to enter in, for instance, the agony of our Lord in the garden, the way he recommends that we meditate upon it. We, we, we are there. We can, we can feel the cold. We can hear the olive leaves rustling. We can smell the olive garden. We can see Christ prostrate on the ground. We can hear his crying, Abba, Father. So we enter into it with our imagination. So it's a very powerful way of forming the imagination. Our whole St. John Henry Newman in his work on the grammar of ascent speaks about the essential importance of the imagination for our faith. Our faith has to be, form our imagination so we see these truths of our faith with it, not simply with our abstract intellect, but with our imagination so they become more concrete, real to us. And so on one side, the imagination is extremely important for our faith and for the fervor of our faith because it touches our emotions. But on the other hand, it's the imagination is the battleground where the good angel wants to fill it with these holy images of sacred scripture, of the lives of the saints, whereas the enemy wants to defile our imagination with ugly images, with impurity, with um, even deformed images. Again, St. John Henry Newman tells in his own life that after he intellectually recognized the church as the one true church, the image that he received as a Protestant of the, the Pope as the prostitute of, of Babylon, <laughs> that, he, that image that he received as a child was an obstacle for him. Because there's a deformity of imagination can be an obstacle to the true faith. And so you have in movies, anti-Catholic movies, very often presentations of of priests or religious that are really, or of Christ or Our Lady, that are deformations. And it's very important to preserve ourselves from these images 
because it's a very subtle but very powerful influence in our lives. So this is the imagination is very important. So the silence of the imagination is using, seeking to form our imagination according to the truths of our faiths and avoiding those other deformities of the imagination. Well, it's very evident that your book, Holy Silence, A Practical Guide to Recollection in God, available from Sophia Institute Press, is going to provide probably eye-opening insights into silence. And, you know, at the very beginning, I referenced that book by Cardinal Sara of uh, his his own reflections on silence. Uh, is that a work that you've consulted? Do you see any overlap between maybe what you've written with what he uh, wrote? Yes, I make reference to his book in the very beginning of my book. Um, I had already had been giving these conferences for many years before his book came out, but I found his book extremely helpful, very, very beautiful. But it's a different approach to the same subjects, whereas he calls attention to certain very important aspects of modern society and the need for silence. My approach is more a very practical overview of the different forms of silence that are possible and the, the ways that we can help cultivate these different forms of silence. Well, that's wonderful. I encourage everybody to head on over to Sophia Institute Press or to your local Catholic bookstore and to find a copy of Father Basil's book, Holy Silence. And as you discover it and read it and maybe read it in the chapel, maybe during adoration, you're going to begin to foster and deepen your own appreciation for that gift, which is holy silence. So thanks so much, Father Basil, for joining me today. You're very welcome. Thank you.